Thank you for tuning in to the Play On Podcast. This is Nano Taggart, your host. Today we have the unique privilege of speaking to actors Quinn Matfield and Grant Goodman. Quinn is playing Sir Andrew Aguicheek in Twelfth Night and Edward Ferris in Sense and Sensibility. He has played Wickham in the previous Jane Austen adaptation of Pride and Prejudice and Black Stash in last year's Peter and the Starcatcher here at the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Grant is playing Orsino in Twelfth Night and Colonel Brandon in Sense and Sensibility. He has played Macbeth in Macbeth, Petruchio in The Taming of the Shrew, and Bassanio in The Merchant of Venice here at the festival in the past. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Quinn, for being here. Really appreciate it. It's a double show day, as we just talked about. So triple show day now. Triple show, yeah, triple show day. Yeah. Right on. You got the former hat show. on. I should have worn a costume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping, Quinn, you would actually be wearing the seashell brassiere from. Uh, it's in my from it's last at, year. It's in my other. It's in my other pants. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, right on. So I'm wondering if each of you, uh, maybe Quinn first, could talk a little bit about what brought you to the Utah Shakespeare Festival. For, uh, first time um you know i i think i may be like one of the two people in history who made the journey was like in new york and it's like i got i gotta get out of here i gotta get to some place like cedar city um i got <laughs> i got a call I, I got a call from them um and uh when i was working in new york and i was you know i was i was stage parsley in a broadway show i was doing nothing I yeah. mean, I was, I had no lines. I think my line was, ha, ha, ha. And that's, that was, Very good. thank you. Stage thank parsley. You. I uh, like that. Yeah. And so, and so when I got the call, they said, hey, come out here and, and play or, uh, Orlando and As You Like It and uh, uh, Tiflis of Syracuse and Comedy of Errors. Yeah. And I was like, yes, please, yeah, yeah. please. And I came out here and absolutely fell in love with it. And, that's awesome. And have wanted to spend all of my summers here and have been lucky enough to spend, I guess, uh, five of the last six here. So it's been really, it's been, it's a really special place to work. There's no other, there's nowhere else like it. And so I'm, I, I feel really lucky. It's kind of a different, uh, I talk to a lot of people that are, seem to be trying to do the opposite, you know, move from, you know, regional theater to sure. maybe New York or Chicago or something like that, even Atlanta. Yeah. But for you, it was the opposite. You wanted to play a bigger role in a smaller place. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, it doesn't feel so much like a smaller place to me. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know what I mean? It, it's just, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously it physically is yeah. going to be, you know, there's not 12 million people here. But yeah. but it, I also feel like like this is just as important for the function of theater in America and for oh, storytelling for sure. as uh, being in New York or being in Chicago or certainly as much as being in L.A. Um, and and – I think it's important to tell these stories everywhere. I mean, there are Shakespeare festivals yeah. everywhere All in this country, yeah. you know, and in in other countries. And and it's 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 there because there's a demand for it. There's a real there's a real appetite for this level of work that is in a place that's not in New York. And, uh -huh. You know, if they do these shows in New York, they put Orlando Bloom in it or something like yeah. that, yeah, and then and everyone goes to these <laughs> shows and goes, oh, Shakespeare doesn't really work or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah. come to the regional theater because we've been doing it for a long time uh -huh. and uh, and we've gotten pretty good at it. Right and on. it's really great storytelling. And and I, you know, I I just I feel really blessed to be able to work at this level and in this place with these people. That's that's terrific. How about you, Grant? Can you maybe give us a little backstory? Uh, I think that I came to the festival first. I came my first summer here was in two thousand. 2008. Mm -hmm. And I think that I got here, I think I auditioned in Chicago for it. Um, but I, I actually think that I, my 
path here was from a recommendation um, from another director that I'd worked with that Scott happened to know. Oh, cool. And that's what brought me here to play Petruchio in Taming of the Shrew in 2008. Cool. And this, so this is my third summer. Um, I was here last, it's been a, a few years since I've been here. I was here last in 2010 playing Macbeth and Bassanio cool. in Merchant of Venice. And then um, the time before was Petruchio and I played Lebray and Cyrano. And uh, I feel the same that Quinn does, which is that I, I love it here. And one of the reasons I love it here so much is because of the rabid fan base at yeah. the Utah Shakespeare <laughs> Festival. True. It's just no, no place else in America does it exist where people have such ownership yeah. uh, of the festival. Uh, people come from all over, and it's really great to perform in a place mm -hmm. where they've seen five Macbeths. Yeah. They've seen the last three Macbeths, and they yeah. can compare and contrast. And yeah. they, they know Twelfth Night. They know Comedy of Errors. They know these plays so well. And they can converse with you about it, and they do at the Grove seminar talks and the and the curtain call luncheons and everything like that. Yeah, and it's great to have that interaction. As Quinn was saying, the whole reason the regional theater, the regional theater movement started was mm -hmm. to have artists in a community. Absolutely, and you could have those artists. You could you could you know meet them at the grocery store, and you know share your lives with these people and that they are part of your community. And, and that's what's so great about being here at Utah Shakes is you have that interaction with the, with the fans. Very cool. Yeah, I, I talked to a lot of people that have been coming 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And I don't think that's that common when, I mean, every year they make yeah. a trek from, you know, Phoenix or Las Vegas or Salt Lake City to come see, like you said, you know, Macbeth for the seventh time. Yeah, right? yeah. it's my eighth Cymbeline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, exactly. Who? Yeah. How many people can say that? Yeah, yeah, not a lot. I've seen Titus three times. Really? Really? Yeah, yeah. how is that even possible? Titus has been done three times in the last <laughs> yeah, And the, the great thing for actors, too, I had this happen the other day. I had a seminar, a Grove seminar, with Melinda Funstein a couple of days ago, and we, we had a great discussion. Yeah with some of the patrons and someone asked about the sacrifices of artists and what it takes to, you know what you have to give up and yeah, and I, the ups and downs of the uh, you know the artist's life and I said well you know I, I gave the pat answer which all drama teachers give you which is if you can be happy doing anything else please go do that and yeah yeah and I talked about the sacrifices and then we got done and this man and his son and his family came running over the hill and said to me <laughs> Grant, I want to thank you for making those sacrifices because we come here, this is our 13th or 14th season, we come every year around the 4th of July, and he said, your sacrifice means so much to us because of the stories that you bring us and the work that you bring us, and that, of course, made my whole summer right there. Right. Oh, totally. absolutely. Totally. There is kind of an intimacy here, right, with the audience that you might yeah. not get at a bigger, even a bigger regional theater like Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Oh. We we had a uh, we were talking about it in the dressing room the other day that sometimes we love those Grove seminars and they're great and sometimes it's really yeah. wonderful to have the best things that happen are when people come up to you afterwards because they're they don't want to speak in front of everybody but they'll come up and say something really intimate like what you said or, or this idea that you said you know relates to this thing that affects me in my life or 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 whatever i had a woman who came up and who was a teacher and said you know uh, it just it, it was nice to hear you talk about the responsibility that you feel as a storyteller yeah. because it's good to know that that you know that that you do have that that greater sense of responsibility and that you know there's there's a deeper meaning in it for you that's a, again that's one of the reasons i like working here a lot of times you as an actor you're doing a show 
you do the show, you have great response from the yeah. audience. Maybe you come out for the curtain call and you bow and you go home. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And you don't know those people in the, true. in the in the void that you're bowing for. Uh -huh. And that's one of the great things here is you do have that interaction. Sometimes it is can be raw because Absolutely. fans yeah. will give you notes <laughs> about yeah. how you should have played your character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and that's I'm... good too because they have such ownership over it that they feel that they can do that. You talked a little bit about the sacrifice you make as a performer, as an artist, somebody that's dedicated your life to this. When uh, Could each of you maybe talk a little bit about when you knew you had your life had to revolve around the arts or, or theater specifically? So this this is the the sort of standard story that I tell, which is I'm sure we all have them, but because yeah. we tell it all the time, um, <clears throat> that I was in high school and I had a friend of mine. There was somebody in the show, the the high school show had been had uh, been expelled, you know, because they were an actor, um, and so they had been expelled uh, from school. And my friend, who I knew really well, stepped in and did had like a week to do this role. And I went and saw it, and he was terrific and he was fantastic and so funny and I thought I I, I can totally do that because I know <laughs> him and he's an idiot <laughs> and, and if I, he can do I, it he can do it anyone a trained monkey could do it um, and uh, you know he's my friend so um, <clears throat> and so I, I decided I would do it I did one show and then I was like well I would like to do this for the rest of my life to the that my parents were thrilled yeah, I'm sure. because yeah. of the yeah, lucrative that. nature yeah. of this. Um, but I, I think after that, my first show that I did was uh, Much Ado About Nothing, and I was playing Virgis, uh, the cool. uh, one of the clowns. Mm -hmm. And I then didn't get to play clowns for maybe the next 10 years, but now I'm back to playing clowns, and I'm really <laughs> happy about it. But I think there was just something so... And then I was I was reading Hamlet, and I was reading all of these... I fell in love with Shakespeare, yeah. and... And then fell in love with, uh, through the process of my education at University of Oregon, fell in love with absurdism and, and Beckett and fell in love with restoration, uh, you know, and Moliere. Yeah, yeah. And there were just, there were so many infinite worlds. And I got to learn so much about history and about, yeah. uh, you know, civilization and society. And, uh, and then eventually it all sort of spread out from Shakespeare and it all came back to Shakespeare because right on. the more and more you look at it, the more and more you realize how much Western culture is shaped by that one person. Yeah. I mean, the how way much language that, is shaped by that one person. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the theme of so many books that are written about Shakespeare is that, you know, the invention of the human as yeah, the Harold uh, Bloom. Yeah. yeah. Harold Bloom. It's, I mean, that's the, the thesis about is that he sort of created the world that we live in. So mm -hmm. I think Shakespeare was kind of the prism for me into theater and the more I look at what really works and what's really successful and effective about theater the more I can boil it down to what Shakespeare what works about Shakespeare and so yeah. for me that was my window in and I was hooked and I, I haven't you know haven't been able haven't to, been able to have been able to kick the habit quit if you can and that's you can't, right right that's yeah right you mentioned uh, the, the process of discovery a little bit and I think that's interesting uh, Every new thing you, it feels like you're discovering this, right? Like whether it's Moliere or Beckett or, you know, Ionesco, it it's a new thing, and you get to feel like, wow, this is this is for me, and it's out there, and yeah, it almost feels like you're discovering a part of yourself, like you described it. It seems like, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think every every character is some weird version of yourself, or. Yeah or not so weird version of yourself of yourself yeah 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 absolutely i'm sorry i sort of hijack i didn't mean to hijack i want to no, 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 i want to no, hear no. i want to hear grant's yeah, origin I, story origins of batman <laughs> uh colonel, colonel batman, batman. 
They've taken to calling me Colonel Batman. As it, a, really? As a sensibility. Colonel right. Brandon, yeah. <laughs> I think it's the long cape I wear. Well, there was one time on stage, though, too, where the piano got loose, and we watched from off stage as Grant just calmly put his hand on the piano, because it's a rake, you know, it would yeah, slide yeah. down into the audience. Put his hand on the piano, we all just looked at each other, nodded, and silently said, Colonel Batman. <laughs> Only Colonel Batman could pull a move that uh, slick and have uh, no one notice. It plays well off Jane, Jane Austen superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> um... Well, I had I had a strange path to theater. Um, my father's a football coach, and this is and this is my standard story that I tell. So I grew up, you know, playing football. My dad's a football coach, and um, uh, I think the moment I became an actor was in eighth grade when I was playing um, Papa and his kerchief in Twas the Night Before Christmas, <laughs> and I I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Yeah, and the entire set fell on us. Oh, terrific. It just collapsed. And I look back, say, and it sort of had fallen on my fellow castmates, and they were sort of underneath it. Safe, I might add. And uh, I, I looked off stage and saw that the director wasn't going to do anything about it, so I hammed it up for the next half hour. Uh, and I think in that moment, but, uh, but then I had great Shakespeare teachers in high school, actually, that made us memorize Shakespeare, and that's what turned me on to it. But nobody, none of the teachers at my high school, where my dad was football coach and teacher, mm. wanted to encourage me to go into the arts because they were afraid of what he might say. I'm sure he was just uh, as thrilled as Quincy. Yeah, they were, he, he was. He was just as bewildered, I think. Yeah. Um, and so no one encouraged me. So it took someone from outside the situation who was a student director from Indiana University. I'm from southern Indiana. And she didn't know the sort of the, the politics of the high school. And I was applying for college, and uh, I said, I, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And she mm -hmm. said, I think you should move to New York and be an actor. And I went, <laughs> I went, okay, that sounds good to me. Do you know? <laughs> I'll do that. And that's all it really took was somebody just nudging me to a little push bit. You in that direction. Yeah. Um, and so, and and, I, and that's what I did. I went to New York. Can we talk a little bit about uh, your roles this season? Uh, and how about let's start with Twelfth Night, uh, Quinn? You are uh, Andrew Agachik. <laughs> yeah. One of the most famous fools, yes. I think, in all of Shakespeare. Yes. And Orsino Grant. Oh, yeah. Very different roles. Uh, Quinn, can you maybe just talk a little bit about what it's like to play one of, I guess you could call him a major fool. I mean, yeah. he's in all but one or two scenes of the play. 140, 50 something odd lines. This is a lot of time. A lot of time for a fool. Yeah. And not just comic relief. This is a major plot character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. Um <laughs> Oh boy, where do I start with this with this guy? Um, yeah, he, he is he is a, a major fool in in many many yeah. ways. Uh, more ways than one. Um, I think you know the thing that, that that's great about this about this show about Twelfth Night is that it isn't it's a comedy, but it yeah. isn't just it isn't like it isn't like comedy of errors, you no, know, which no, is no. a really a pure farce mm -hmm. and with with some heart attached to it. And I think ours has. He's really doing what he does best, which is taking both of those masks, you know, yeah, yeah. the comic and the tragic, and putting them right on stage next to one another. Yeah. And I think he even gives a couple of moments of of gravity to to Sir Andrew, maybe one. Yeah. Um, but but everybody's got comic stuff and everybody's got tragic stuff. We start this play um, in a place where there's just mourning and everyone mm. has lost something or is looking for something, is searching for something, is trying to will something into, into being. Um, and so Andrew Agucic shows up. I, 
I, the, sort of the secret, the thing that I have thought is that I think he's there to find a new mom. Because I think mom <laughs> mom has probably gone recently and Andrew Aguicic is left a little bit alone. Yeah. Um, if you've ever seen Arrested Development, the first image Absolutely. that I had for him was Buster Bluth. That, it, that he really has that Buster Bluth feel of yeah. like, he just wants a mom. And, he, and so he's trying to belong so yeah. desperately. Um, I also think well, the other thing that's really fun to play is that he loves Toby Belch and he loves um, the, he loves Festy. Yeah, he's yeah. absolutely in love with them. He doesn't understand anything that ever happens in the play. No. I don't think he knows what the plot of the show is. I don't think he understands when they're making fun <laughs> of Malvolio why or what's exactly like going on? Carell and Anchorman. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> totally. I he's like he's in the circle, but he's not behind any of the jokes. No, he. Ha yeah. I don't, I, but he's excited by other people being excited. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's like a dog chasing cars. Like there's something coming. Yeah. But he doesn't. I don't think he understands any of what's it. What's really so happening? It's yeah. it's fun to play somebody who's that clueless and who's trying to be that in it. Uh -huh. um, and that's a that's a fun challenge to not get lost to the void. Uh -huh. That's amazing. <laughs> Oh, how about Orsino? Oh, what he's a sweet, unholy mess of a man. <laughs> kind of, kind of whiny. Yeah, yeah. Well, he can be. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's the. the I, I think that's the thing that I wanted to sort of guard against was that. Um, Oftentimes he comes out and he waxes poetical and he can yeah. get so languid and so boring and so yeah. I know that David and I both wanted to activate him a little bit and I think cool. that his his melancholy and his love sick nature is very active hopefully in this production. Good, good. Um, he's a, he's a very interesting character and I think that you can always tell a lot in Shakespeare plays about what characters are missing mm -hmm. what what mothers are the where's the mother in king lear yeah. you know where yeah, yeah. Or, you know, most of the plays or most yeah. of the plays yeah. yeah and so we spoke so much in rehearsal about the household of olivia mm -hmm. and how she's mourning the loss of her father and her brother and what that means to that household and, yeah, yeah. and who's who was there and who's now gone and then i looked at my household and I am surrounded by a bunch of yes men, you know, and I don't yeah. have anybody else. Play and on, stop, yeah, play, yeah, stop. Yeah, do this, do <laughs> that, you know, I'm sad. Um, <laughs> and so uh, it, it was really interesting to me and sort of the linchpin for, for me, for my character, strangely, is Festy. Um, he's the first person that sort of comes into my house and calls a spade a spade and, and yeah. looks me in the eye and tells me what's wrong with me and tells yeah. me how changeable I am. And that is such a, a sort of fulcrum of the play. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm talking right now about scene, uh, act uh, two, scene four, uh, which is this, when Festy sings the song for me and Viola yeah, yeah. disguised as Cesario. And there's a real pivotal point in that scene um, after he comes in and then I go away. You can also tell a lot about a character when they go away for three scenes in Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <clears throat> and what How they sort of back. sea change yeah. Yeah, is happening in them and that character. And so that's sort of where I hung my hat with Orsino. It's also interesting uh, talking about the, the, the morning and the darkness in this play. I, everybody in this play is drowning yeah. in some way or another. And, of course, we've set this you know right by the seaside. David Ivers has made the sea very... Um, present in our production mm -hmm. and I, I think that's I think it's really interesting because every character is experiencing their own form of drowning in one way or another Orsino's drowning in, in love or love sickness yeah, yeah. Viola and, and Olivia are drowning in mourning Malvolio and officiousness 
uh-huh. Sir Toby an actual drink. Uh-huh. You know? yeah. And it's 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 a really apt metaphor for the whole play. Also thinking about the language, Quinn and I both, and this was a really neat thing, we both just played Hamlet right yeah. before we came. And it's really oh, interesting. Cool. I'm sure Quinn feels this way too. Having done Hamlet and then going moving into Twelfth Night, yep. which is uh, Shakespeare wrote Hamlet and immediately after wrote Twelfth Night. Yeah. So I've been feeling like I've been in Shakespeare's head. Yeah. And coming out of the the real darkness of Hamlet into more darkness at the beginning of Twelfth Night, moving into the light in the second half of Twelfth Night. It's, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to examine that development of him as a playwright. It's also the he's at the height of his powers in oh, the language in the language is, is just incredible. so it, it the verse is so elegant and immaculate mm-hmm. um and so perfect it, yep. that it's deceiving how good it is because mm-hmm. it, it 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 it's often very measured mm-hmm. but it's not like the measure measured verse of henry the sixth or comedy of errors right. or something like that it's just yeah you're not in the audience love slavers counting i ams yeah it's exactly so yeah it doesn't yeah you don't notice that it's there yeah it's just a beautiful play. And it's so intricate. You know, you, you've got a couple of scenes in which almost all of the characters show up. Yeah. You know, and it's they're true. woven yeah. in and out so that this play is, by the time you get done, it's 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 seductive, you know, yeah. that you just go, where have I, I've been so many different places. And there's something, you know, there's something really, I also think there's just some his strange genius shows up in here too, where yeah. he seems to be obsessed with dogs. There's forty some <laughs> references to dogs in oh, the show, wow. I, I and there's all of this. Me. There's all of this stuff that has to do with letters. I, I keep seeing yeah, it all yeah, the time. Uh, Olivia, Viola. Olivia and Viola are separated by one letter, and yeah. it's I. And then Malvolio's got this whole M O A I thing. There's all these little letter things. So his weird, I think his weird neurotic brain is just showing up and going. Letters, numbers, well, you know, he's sort of beautiful yeah, yeah. minding it right now. That, that he, I'm not quite sure what exactly he was going for, but there's, but he's operating on so. It's many not an levels. accident, right? No, Dan Brown is listening to this and composing his <laughs> next right. novel, right? Exactly. That's right. That's right. I mean, he really is. It, you know, he he really is operating on so many levels that I just think human brains don't get to operate on very often. Yeah. and you see it all the time in his plays where you just go. How did you do that? Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. makes me mad sometimes. And the repetition of words too—that's mm-hmm. you know, if you if you were to do a, a word bubble of this play, these words keep occurring. I, I it's so strange in all my I, I keep dying fall. Uh huh. In my two major scenes, I repeat these words: surfeit, cloyment, revolt. All these things, all mm. these bodily functions. Yeah. Uh, that actually accomplish what it is he's trying to accomplish verbally and he, but it's but it's also a, a a soundscape yeah with the language it's just yeah it's, well it's, it's almost like it's almost like he wrote instructions in for the performers right well, that's it, that you know i got at this because there's not much in the way of stage direction in right. shakespeare no you know except for exit pursued by bears <laughs> exactly. right, right? Exactly. right but but there is a little bit i mean what you just let on to arthur falls yeah, yeah. it's just and it's it's because of that because he was a theater practitioner because he knew the stage so well, mm-hmm. it makes it easy. Someone asked the other day, "Is it easier to do Jane Austen or is it easier to do Shakespeare?" Oh, it's far easier to do Shakespeare. Absolutely, yeah. Because of course Shakespeare wrote for the stage. He was a yeah, craftsman, yeah, yeah. and Jane Austen wrote these long-winded sentences that wind about, and she didn't write for the stage. So it's it, 
Yep. It, it's much easier because Shakespeare does. And I've done, Quinn and I both have done a lot of Shakespeare, and I now find it so much easier to do Shakespeare than anything else because he gives everything to you. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's these great moments, too. I, I'm sure we... Grant and I are still trying to find. Actually, we found a couple of times to sit down and talk about Hamlet, and of course, none. Of, it's never enough. Yeah. Um, but like you know, I kept finding where I would go. There's this weird little pause in the verse right here, and I'm not sure what it is. There's this strange little pause in Hamlet's lines in the verse, uh -huh. and then I realize every time I'd get to that line, uh, the audience would laugh, mm -hmm. and you go, oh. oh. He yeah. left. He left some. He left some space there some for breathing. the audience to yeah, laugh. Yeah, like the ballad. And, yeah. yeah. As the older I, I mean, I think in popular culture, the way that we really learn at first to respect Shakespeare is as a poet and as a philosopher. He says yep. all these great things about life, and he's they're really you know deeply thought out. And the more you work with him and collaborate with him in the theater, you realize that he's a brilliant dramatist yeah and that he knows the theater and the audience even 400 years later <laughs> he still knows there's the a audience. timelessness yeah because he figured out some, he figured out a human formula for watching a story and he was wow. really good at articulating it and that is the shame too you often do you come to Shakespeare first in a classroom mm -hmm. and you sit around and or, or you go home and read it Mm -hmm. The best classes, of course, I had in high school where we sat around and read Shakespeare, and it comes to life, and you learn from yeah. it, and that that's, remains true throughout your professional career. Yeah. That's, a, that's very cool. Uh, we need to move on to Sense and Sensibility a little bit, Great. if we could. I could talk about Twelfth Night all day, and <laughs> Hamlet, too. and yeah, the dialogue, but... Uh, Colonel Brandon, or Batman, Grant. <laughs> and, I love that this is becoming and, a thing, actually. And Edward, Quinn. Yeah. Yeah. Your characters are a little bit different. Yeah. Um, very reserved uh, for the colonel, at least outwardly, you know. And your character, Edward, is seemed to be kind of controlled by women to some degree. <laughs> oh, jeez, yeah. Uh, yeah. Think uh, you know, in an unfortunate way. Yeah. You know, not from a kind of mummy dearest sort of a thing to yeah. a first marriage that, you know, maybe isn't isn't ideal. Yeah. Is is this text as uh, timeless as Twelfth Night as Shakespeare? Is there, what are the challenges in comparing it to? maybe what you're doing right now in Twelfth Night. I think, you know, I wouldn't say that it's that the text is not as timeless. I would say that the setting of, of you know, Edwardian England is so <laughs> repressed and rigid uh -huh. that, that there are necessary conventions in the storytelling that I think can limit it, uh, you know, at times for people. That said, I think this is such a fantastic adaptation. It's Look, wonderful. I don't read cool. novels. If I read anything, I read science and I read history books. Okay, so I'm not. I don't. I'm not. You've never read. You've never read the novel. I haven't. Okay. I'm not really good at following stories. Gotcha. Um, which is an irony for me as yeah. a storyteller, but I'm really not. I can't. I don't have the. Uh, I can't pay attention for that long. Um, and so, and I also don't. I'm not really that into Jane Austen necessarily. You know, there's yeah. no reason for me to love this play, and I love this play. I Very love cool. it. J I could sit and watch in rehearsals. Every single scene was has something new and exciting, and I think that's a real testament to what Joe and Joe Hanready, our director yeah. and one of the co-writers, one of the adapters, and, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, and Jim Sullivan have done with the script. I uh, like. There's just no reason for me to love it, and I think it's fantastic. And I love doing it every single day. It's such a pleasure. And I so I think it's deceptively accessible. Cool. You know that you go, oh, this sh sh there's you know it's set in this specific time, and it's a it's a novel for people who like romance and and but it's not it's really really i mean jane austen just has a wicked sense of humor oh, for and sure. they found it and it's it's terrific i think the show is it's doing gangbusters right now mm -hmm. so, i mean they've, we've just been 
packing people in. It's been really wonderful. That's true. It's yeah. not just Austin Files then. It's... No, it's not. Yeah, the, the irony of Jane Austen too. That's what, oh, it's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Quinn and I both have done another adaptation that um, J.R. Sullivan and Joe Hanratty did. We both have done their uh, Pride and Prejudice. Oh, cool. And so I think one of the reasons I like their adaptations of both plays so much is because they are Shakespearean in the way they move. Yeah. And, and of course, Jane Austen, I think the similarities between Jane Austen and Shakespeare are in their uh, character detail. Um, the scope might not be the same because Jane Austen is much more domestic mm-hmm. and much more Chekhovian in a way. Yeah. Um, but the, the depth of character is certainly Shakespearean. And the wonderful thing that J.R. and Joe have done is they've taken out any narrator. A lot of other versions that I've read of Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice have narrators and that yeah. sort of slows the action. What they've done is they've made both their adaptations flow like a Shakespeare play. Um, all the scenes sort of dovetail, and they've done a really great job of adapting it so that most of the action sort of occurs around uh, Eleanor and Marianne in our production. Yeah. So the, the world sort of, as does the novel, sort of swirls around them. <laughs> and uh, for me, it's very interesting to play Colonel Brandon because he's sort of the exact opposite of Orsino. Yeah, So <laughs> exactly. the two, two yeah. polar opposites for me this summer, which is very nice. You know, Colonel Brandon is very reserved. Yeah. Very taciturn, and, and Orsino, of course, is completely over the top in yeah. his emotions. It's true. And Colonel Brandon represses all of his emotions. That is the other fun thing, too, for an actor to play. It's difficult to play. Yeah. If you're going to do a play in the in Regency where just the way you stood, the way you took a woman's hand, the way your cravat was tied yeah. meant something, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so there was all this sort of uh, subtext in the Regency. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting to play. Yeah. I'm wondering if I could get each of you, uh, maybe throw a pitch for maybe Quinn, if you could pitch Twelfth Night. And then Grant, if Don't you could. Don't throw a pitch like 50 Cent. No, yeah, no, no, not, 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 uh, yeah. Not in Sunday, that style. Sunday, Sunday. Actually, it's not Sunday. It can't be Sunday. Right. We'll, yeah. Pretend we have a listener that's, you know, they're driving down to Cedar City right now. And they, they've got to choose, you know, two or three plays. Quinn sure. Matfeld is very good looking. Yeah. <laughs> you should come just for that. Grant Goodman is right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that Twelfth Night is, is one of Shakespeare's most accessible plays. Yeah. And that it, it's so many people's first Shakespeare because it's done so much. And it's yep. so, uh, it, it's really ubiquitous in our, in, you know, in our culture, it's mm-hmm. everywhere, and it's and it's permeated uh, just our existence as human beings in the Western world. Twelfth Night is a part of it, and I think it's true. It's such a great story, and it's so complicated, and um, I should say inter- intricate. And it's one of those that you can go back to it over and over and over and over again, and you will Very continue cool. to find new stuff. So if it's one that you, if you've never seen a Shakespeare play, come see Twelfth Night. There's a lot of it's his most musical play mm-hmm. as well, and he he loves putting music in theater. Yeah. Um, and I would say that so if it's your first show, it's a great show. If it's the nineteenth time you've seen Twelfth Night, you're going to find something different because this is a really unique production. Well, and and David put a lot of music on the stage. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's a live band. There's a three-piece live band. It's incredible. And and uh, Festy, uh, Aaron Galgan Sturl, who's mm-hmm. the Golden Throat, the Golden, the golden Pipes. Oh. <laughs> um, he's just got a gorgeous voice. Oh. And so it's a, David has shepherded a really unique, 
and really affecting piece of theater that is funny all the way through and and moving. You know, a lot. I know a lot of people who've uh, who've come seen the show said, you know, I don't usually cry at Shakespeare because it's a it's an intellectual you know yeah, thing yeah. for me and it's culture and blah, 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 who are actually moved by the show, which is which is a really it's a really wonderful thing to have happen. So I'm a plus sold. Grant, okay, here's my pitch. Here's my pitch. <laughs> Sense and sensibility. <laughs> Jane Austen is not just for women. <laughs> true. That's my pitch for that. So true. It's funny. Yeah. It's ironic. I think you get swept away in this world, and uh, of course, of course, it's it's about these uh, fascinating women's story, of course. But I think it's not it's not just for women. And then I'd say for Twelfth Night, it, this is not your father's Twelfth Night. It's a very unique mm -hmm. production. Cool. If you have seen those five productions of Twelfth Night, mm -hmm. I, I think it's very different. I think it's a very unique production. I think lots of different things are highlighted in this production that aren't usually highlighted. One other thing about Sense Sensibility, too. If you haven't seen Grant Goodman in a cravat, <laughs> you, you don't know the American, I was hoping you don't know the American say, theater, yeah. my friends. That is the reason I do these plays, is for the clothes. It, um, Seriously. Is there, is there selfies backstage? Uh, well, no, there no, no. should be now. Yeah. yeah, there will be now to be a whole fashion show. Oh, right I'm, I'm <laughs> Bo Brummel like. I'm going to bring back the high collar. <laughs> Do it. Thank you again, Grant. Yeah, Grant thank you. so thank much. You. Thanks incredible. so much. Thank you for listening to the Play On podcast. We'll be visiting with more actors from the 2014 season in the coming weeks. Tune in beginning next Wednesday for our conversation with Rick Peoples and Nell Geislinger.